Romans chapter 2. Let's pray together. Father, help us here today as we study this, Your Word. Oh, that You would speak to us in a most personal and intimate way. Lord, that You would make it abundantly clear to us more about You and more about how we are to live and perceive ourselves. Change us, God, for Your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever watch the Olympics? I mean, my, one of my favorites is the gymnastics, where, there, where those men and young men and women do things with their body that seems impossible. I was a bit of a gymnast in my youth, but never heard <laughs> such things. And I'll tell you what, what is most incredible for, for me is after you watch them do their flips and their twists and they land as if they never left their feet so well balanced. A couple of judges start throwing up cards. Eight, seven, six, five, I don't know what, you know. The thing that amazes me is what is the criteria that they use for such a thing? I mean, what's the difference between an eight and a nine and a nine and a ten? You know, is there, is there a, a good somersault and a bad one? I mean, I suppose there are. I've done some. <laughs> but what really, you know, here in this, this level of the Olympics, what is the minutia that you and I look at that and go, oh my goodness, surely that's a 10. And some guy's over there with an 8 in his hand. You know, I bet those gymnasts know. I bet you they know. They know exactly what they'll be judged on. A little turn of the wrist, a little step out of the right foot, whatever it might be, I'll bet they know. And the value to that, of course, is they know how to practice. They know how to live. They know what to do and what not to do. In the same way, my friends, in the very same way, we ought to know what will be the basis of God's judgment of sinners? And when we stand before Jesus, what matters to Him? It ought to matter to us. Paul lays that out for us here in Romans chapter 2, and verses 1 through 16, where we discover the basis on which God judges sinners. Now, a little bit of background here. In chapter 1, Paul here in the first... Is that me or is that somebody else? I'm sorry. Uh, Paul addresses the Gentiles, and he refers to them with the pronoun they and them. They have done this, and they have done this, and this will be done to them. Gentiles, people outside of the faith. But when we come to chapter 2, he's talking to the Jews, and the pronouns change. He says, we and us. So I want you to notice here, my friends, that there are a number of, uh, of criteria that the Lord will bring before these people and judge them on. And the first is this, and this will surprise you, but God holds us to our own standards. Let me say that again. God will hold us to our own standards. Now take a look at what he says here in verse 1. He says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. You know what we're talking about. 
Hey, you're not driving right. I know how to drive right, and they're not doing it. Hey, you got the wrong trend. Hey, you got this. You're not doing that. And so we set up our own little standards, and we evaluate everybody by those. Friends, that is not the spirit of the church. But nonetheless, perhaps you are thinking of particularly a person who is like that right now in your past. Thinking about folks in my first church. And friends, this ought not to be the case. Because notice what Paul says, for in passing judgment on others, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness, that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Boy, I'll tell you what, there's a truth that gets messed up pretty quick in the church. We say, well, look at all the good things that are happening in my life. Well, God must be blessing me. Well, perhaps God is shaming you. See all of my goodness that you continue to turn away from? The goodness of God is meant to bring about repentance in our lives. Don't presume upon them. But here, what has he just said? The Lord will judge them on their own standards. They, these Jews, they like to measure everybody out. Are you doing it right? Are you dressing right? Are you talking? Are you using the right vocabulary? You know, what they did to Jesus, the very same thing. But the problem is, they set up a standard that they violated themselves. And it would be on that basis that God would judge them. You set up the standard, great, we'll judge you based on that. And they will fail. Why? Because there isn't a person in this room or on this planet that is not a sinner. And so I'm going to call somebody up here, then we're going to talk about your sins in the past. I won't do that, because then you might do that to me. <laughs> Every one of us is guilty. That's chapters 1 to 3. That will be the ultimate conclusion. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Chapter 1, the Gentiles, chapter 2, and the Jews. And so God will hold us to our own standards. But notice here in verses 5 to 11, God judges us according to our works. What we do, we would expect that. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Boy, those are some ominous words, my friend. Storing up judgment. Why? Because you refuse to repent. What is repentance? One of those church words. It means to turn away from what you've been doing. It's a 180 degrees. If I have been living this way, I will turn away from that. That is repentance. Repentance is not just words. It certainly can include them. But it is an activity in which we turn 
to a new lifestyle. God judges according to our works. He will render each, verse 6, according to his works to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. Well, he's going to give them eternal life, verse 7. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being that does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and the Greek. For God shows no partiality. And the Jews, they presume they did. I mean, think about the privilege that the nation of Israel has had through its history. Of all of the nations of the world, God chose Abraham. He promised to make a nation out of him and to bless him and bless the whole world through them. And anyone that cursed them, he would curse. It's Genesis chapter 12, my friends. Think of the blessing. There is the presence of God right in the midst of the country. Right in the, They could see the smoke. They could see the manifestation of God's presence. Talk about privilege. And yet they blew it. You see, they thought, well, because we're God's chosen people, we don't have to worry about the sin thing because, you know, we're special. You know, they never work with your parents. <laughs> well, I'm your uh, son, Dad, so, uh, you know, you don't want to be mad at me because, you know, we, I mean, we have such a good relationship. <laughs> that didn't work for me, and I bet it never worked for you. Got to get it right, friends. And so God, God judges based on your own standards and according to your works. And here in verses 12 to 16, God judges according to the revelation that you possess. What are we talking about here? You know, the, the claim has been made by unbelievers, you know, God is not fair. There are people in some tribe, in some dark, nobody is, they've never seen a missionary. Is it fair that God would judge them? And the answer is yes. You say, why? Because they had revelation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens, we saw that in chapter 1, in verse 9. That God's creation shouts out that he is there, that he is good, that he is powerful. And even the law is written on our hearts, and we're going to see that. Notice here in verse 12. You see, those who have the scriptures will be judged based on the scripture. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Being justified is being declared righteous by God. And so it's not the fact that you have the word of God in front of you 
or that you have books about the Bible in your library and your living room and next. It has nothing to do with how much knowledge you have, my friends. It is everything to do with what you do with the truth. I grew up in a church, uh, a family. We went to church every Sunday. My mom played the piano and my dad led various things. And, and I heard the gospel. Many of you can tell the same story. You heard it. You knew it inside and out. Jesus died for our sins. We get it. There's a big cross in front of everything. You know, we talked about it. Told the stories about it. It all seemed to end on Jesus. And I accepted these things as true. And if I would have died accepting these things as true, I would have gone straight to hell, my friends. Well, not eventually, eventually straight to hell. <laughs> because it's not what you know. It's not even what you accept as true. It's what you do with it, my friends. If your house is on fire, and fortunately you got a deal over at the big box store on a whole case of fire extinguishers, Heaven knows doesn't put out the fire. You got to put it to practice. You got to pick it up, open it up, and get it going. You see, faith is action. Don't think that faith is, is some expression, some, some feeling, some. Faith is an action. That's why we have a, a, the Word of God is filled with evidence of men's faith because they did something. Go back to Abraham. Abraham, offer me your son Isaac as a sacrifice. Oh. And you know what he did? He set together the wood and he got the fire and he had the knife and he had his son. And that's how we know he trusted God. And that's what God said. He says, now I know that you trust me. You see, he didn't want Isaac's dead. He wanted Abraham's heart. And that evidence was demonstrated in this faith. Faith, my friends. Faith is the issue. It's not what you know. It's what you do with it. And so those who have the scriptures will be judged by the scriptures. I had a, a, a friend, a pastor in, in uh, college. His name was Tom Harms. He was a godly man. He was a huge guy, you know, football player kind of guy, like 6'5", and just a big guy. And he was our college pastor. And I would get together and talk about ministry and what we're studying, and sometimes he would just bust out in tears. He says, week after week, I preach this gospel, I teach the Word of God, and I feel like I'm just dumping judgment on people because they're hearing it, they're knowing it, but they ain't doing it. You will be accountable for what you know, my friends. You will be accountable. But those who do not have the scriptures also will be judged by the law that's written on their hearts. You didn't have to be a Christian. And there was a day that you were, and you didn't want anybody to take your stuff. You did not believe in stealing. You may have taken something that belonged to someone else, and you knew it was wrong. Why? Because your mom said so? Because you have the law 
written on your heart. There are things that inherently every person knows is wrong. For when the Gentiles, verse 14, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, and while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them, on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Doesn't matter if you're carrying a Bible around, you have the scriptures written on your heart. You have the law that is so clear. You can witness and see somebody striking someone and say, It's wrong! And you may have, may have never spent a second in Sunday school as a child, but you know it's wrong. You know it's wrong. It doesn't have to be complex because ultimately we know that which is right and that which is wrong. Now again, the issue is not the knowing, is it? Because you knew it was wrong not to take something from your friend's lunchbox while they were looking the other way, but you did it anyway, didn't you? Shame on you. Yeah. Evidence that we're sinners. You know what the evidence is? We did it in secret. We knew it was wrong, and we did everything we could not to get caught. I wonder, did you ever steal anything from a store when you were a little kid? You know, you're way down low so nobody can see. You may not remember, but the Lord does. Yeah. It's not what you know, my friends. It's what you do with it. It's what you do with it. And so here are three ways, three bases on which God will judge the Jews, holding them to their own standards, judging them according to what they have done, and judging them based on what they knew. If you know it, my friends, you are responsible to God to do it. Do I need to say that again? If you know it, you need to do it. You need to do it. Well, where did the Jews get it wrong? Look at verse 17 to 29 here. Where did they blow it? I mean, of all of the advantages they had, my goodness. I mean, they had the law. They had the tablets inside the temple, in the tabernacle, in the temple for how many years? They ignored it. They sinned. Why? Because all of us are sinners. We have a sin nature since Adam. We crave what we want. Well, let's see, where did the Jews get it wrong? They had some misplaced values, and they were out of balance. Blessed are the balance. Look at this here in verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew, and rely on the law, and boast in God, and know his will, and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law, <coughs> And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law and the embodiment of knowledge and truth. So you have all of these things of which you find yourself so proud. Oh, look what I have. The education that, oh, I've sat under some great teachers of the word of God. But you, 
verse 21. You, when you teach others, do you not teach yourself? You see, they did not practice what they preached. They did not practice what they preached. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you not steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? And you who abhor idols, do you rob idols or temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. Condemnation, my friends. See, they do the law. They do it inside out. They practiced it. They wore it on their clothes and on their head. and on their, they, they had big t-shirts that, you know, like today, right? No, they didn't have t-shirts back then. But the word of God was everywhere. And they thought it was some kind of shield against judgment. But it was not. They were judged by what they knew and what they did with it. But it doesn't end there, my friends. Notice verse 25. They not only didn't practice what they preached, they dishonored the Lord by their hypocrisy. Verse 24, for it is written, the name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles because of you. Imagine that. That your lifestyle is such a shame that you give God a bad reputation in this world. People think less about God because of the way that you live. Well, my friends, they didn't practice what they preached. They dishonored the Lord by their hypocrisy. And they favored rituals over obedience. Look at this here in verse 25. For circumcision, indeed, is a value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Anybody not know what circumcision is? Look it up. <laughs> it was a mark in their body for men. And this was something when you became a son of the law, the men were circumcised by the eighth day. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? <coughs> So what is Paul saying here? Oh, great, you're all circumcised, you know, that makes you a Jew, everybody knows it. You know, this great religious um, mark on your body, wonderful. But if you don't obey the law, what difference does it make? Well, not the person who does obey the law that is written on their hearts. Isn't that the same thing as circumcision to him? So apparently circumcision isn't that big a deal, is it? You see, they favored rituals over obedience. Verse 27, that he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. They favored rituals over obedience. Look at what we do. Look at what we wear. Look at what we've done. But let's not talk about what the Bible says. They favored these symbols over the spirit. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is, is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart. 
by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. You see, as one may be married without the presence of a ring, you can be married without a wedding ring, right? I mean, there's no laws about that, right? That's the same thing as the circumcision. It's not matter about the ring. It matters about the relationship, doesn't it? That's what matters. Any Gentile who could keep the requirements of the law would be reckoned as one who would receive the rite of circumcision, for the reality was present without the symbol. But the symbol apart from the reality, wearing a ring, but not loving your spouse, it's worthless. We all stand guilty before a holy God, and the evidence against us is great. And we know it. We know it. But we can just talk about yesterday. The sins of the flesh, the sins of the spirit, they are great. It is why we need Jesus. We have no hope without Jesus. So let me remind you of a few things here, friends. <clears throat> Live like you're being watched. You are. Live like you're being watched. You are. And live like every decision matters. Because they do. They do. We will give an account for every word spoken. And live like you will give an account for every thought, every action, and every word. Because you will. And why do we do this? Because we are terrified? Oh, the shame and the... Well, I hope there's not shame as you stand before the Lord. But there could be. All depends on what you do with what you know. But here is an opportunity, a new day for you to be cautious and careful in how you live your life for the glory of God and the good of others. You've got to stand tall if that's the way you've lived your life. No shrinking back. No hanging in your head if you live well for him today. And guess what? All of the resources of heaven are available to you to enable you to do just that. You are dwelt by the Holy Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead. There is nothing that you can't do by the power of the Holy Spirit in obedience to the Word of God. Just a matter of, I guess, if you want to, if you plan on it. Tell me I'm not dumping judgment on you, friends. Let's live this out well. <clears throat> Father, help us here today. Our heart longs for you. Our heart longs to live in a way that honors you. In a way that you can use us in a powerful way. A way, God, that honors you before the lost draws them to you. Help us, God. Convict us even now of what it is we ought to do. Convicts us even now, Lord, of how we ought to live. The decisions that have been rolling around in our heart, God, make it clear to us. Lead us by your Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name.